Welcome to Elevate, a podcast from JPA Health. At Elevate, JPA industry experts with over 50 years of experience in public affairs will share best practices and innovative ideas to influence the changing health landscape. Every episode, JPA will explore issues and trends impacting the intersection of policy, business, and society in health. We can't wait to share the tips and tricks that your organization can execute to manage the outside and inside game to elevate your interests. Hi guys, welcome to the Elevate podcast. I'm Ajwa and I'm here with my colleagues Ryan and Ken from the JPA research team. And we're really excited about today because we're discussing our second installment of our influential series. This time we'll be going over the top influential members of Congress in healthcare. And if you believe that Congress still cares about healthcare and that Congress is still influential, you want to stay tuned for the next 20 or so odd minutes because we might shock you with who is actually influencing not only policy, but public opinion about health policy. And that's what this list is about, right, Ryan? That's why we're trying to do this? Yep, that's right. It's our second series. Last month, we did the top healthcare reporters, and we gave a a whole uh, breakdown of that. Tons of our listeners went and downloaded that list and have been using it. We've got a lot of great feedback so far. And so we wanted to take that one step further and, of course, have Ken on board um, to talk about kind of the methodology behind this list, because anytime a member of Congress gets ranked or there's some sort of influence list or 30 under 30 put out, people start whining and complaining and questioning the methodology. And so to stave off those critics ahead of time, uh, we have Ken here to kind of break down what went into this list, why it's important, and um, kind of the specifics behind it. So Ken, thank you for joining us. And uh, Give us the lowdown on the methodology here. Great. Well, thanks for having me today. So our analysis uses Gretel, which is JPA's proprietary tool that uses social network analysis to collect data and to analyze who's the most effective, not just in general, but with specific audiences. And in this case, we're looking at the health policy conversation and where the different stakeholders are on the health policy conversation and based on their perspective of where they're from, who they're paying attention to. So just to give a a concept here is that if you look at, okay, how do you measure who's the most uh, influential? We're not looking at volume. Um, If you're looking at volume, you know, you'd probably have your uh, Marjorie Taylor Greens and your AOCs because they're loud, they're partisan, they have a big following that is over everywhere, but it's not necessarily looking at what the people inside the beltway who are focused on health policy, what they're paying attention to. So what we did is we created a group to measure that, to measure impact. Um, And we did that through using social network analysis. Now this is a a methodology that's existed long before social networks existed. It used to be done by hand in a more uh, um, simpler way. Um, But now that we've got tons of points of data, we can use a more complicated analysis. One of the nice things about uh, social media 
from a researcher perspective is that people essentially vote by what they do, who they follow, who they pay attention to. And by figuring out who those people are, we can figure out what type of people are more attentive to certain um, members of the media um, or members of Congress, like we did in this particular case. So we started out by looking at, well, what defines the health policy conversation in Washington? And what clearly defines it are the legislative, the regulatory um, entities that are involved in these conversations. So we started looking at who pays attention to them. And through that, we gathered up the thousands of people who are the most central to that conversation and ended up building a research set um, of over 10,000 individual users that fit into different types of health policy conversations. And then we looked at, out of those people, who do they pay most attention to? What members of Congress do they pay attention to? Um, and through that, and we just calculated out um, which audience pays the most attention to which members, we were able to rank each of the members that we were able to find. Now, in using this methodology, just looking at the top people, um, it wasn't every single member of Congress even made the rankings. So the rankings only constituted the top 12,000 accounts that the people were paying attention to. Um, so those could be government entities or individuals or individual doctors in some cases, or in some cases we have doctors who are members of Congress. Um, but altogether, it, it, out of that 12,000, there were 90 senators and 241 House members who made the cut. So that's what the analysis is based on. So, Ken, when you say not every member is listed, so how? So for the comms director who wants to know, all right, is my member listed at number 535th? <laughs> what, what goes into uh, not, some members not making the list? Is it a matter of them not talking about healthcare or what's that based on? The list itself and the, the members that I mentioned, the, the quantity is just the official accounts. Um, there are some members of Congress who are not very active on their official accounts. They may have their campaign accounts doing the work. Um, we ignored the campaign accounts for the purposes of this. We're only looking at their official accounts. And so an individual group, um, so for instance, the people who are most focused in the Beltway on healthcare policy, um, if we, you took the whole group of people, the several thousand of them, and you looked at everyone they followed, and you only took the top 12,000 people they followed, there's some members of Congress that didn't make the top 12,000. If we went down deeper, they would have showed up, but they went, were so far below the conversation that they're not being paid attention to, um, and people are not following what they're saying. Now, it could just be a case that their individual office is just never putting anything out on the internet, so people aren't bothering to follow them. There is a little bit of bias in the data in that new members um, have a harder time getting listened to because follower data goes back since the beginning of time when people started being involved in social media. Um, not, that, that's not that far back in time, but it, it, it is back in an era of time. Um, so we're able to see um, the individual members where they rank. The interesting thing is a lot of the top members are newer members or members who just got elected or only in the second term. Um, and they have surpassed the people with seniority, um, even though the people in seniority, some of them have had followers for 10 years. 
Yeah, we're going to get into that soon because we thought this was very fascinating. Um, once you look at the numbers and the numbers don't lie, folks. So as, as Ken just really outlined um, the methodology behind this. And so really what we're, what we're going to shock you in a second is information that might suggest that you are either overrating some of your congressional targets, the, the, your congressional champions, those who you engage with to elevate and advance your issues, or you're underrating potential members of Congress that could be very helpful to your cause. That is the point of this list. So if you're a stakeholder and you're saying, you know what, um, it's super hard to get our issue talked about inside and outside of the Beltway, because all anyone wants to talk about these days is the pandemic or the reconciliation or infrastructure or the debt ceiling. And you're saying, hey, wait a minute, what about my issue? There are certain members that could be very helpful to you. And shockingly, sometimes they're not on the committee of jurisdiction. So what does that mean, especially for your budget, um, as you think about targeting, and as you think about where to spend your energies. So we're going to break that down in a second, um, but we thought it was very important for you to hear how uh, this was quantified. Yeah, Ken, uh, JPA's own head of research and insights, thank you uh, for joining us and breaking down um, all of that. I suspect we're going to have you back on subsequent episodes because we're not done with what you and your team are putting together and finding. Uh, we have a whole series put together, again, driven um, all based off of our insights and what you all put together. So we're looking forward to the next episode. We'll have you back. Uh, and hopefully you'll be a regular fixture on the Elevate podcast. And then uh, right now we'll, we'll get down into it. Thanks a lot. All right, Ken. Well, that was amazing. Um, and it's also good to get the methodology done up front. Uh, so that way we know what we're looking at and why we're looking at it and what went into looking at it. And so here's what everybody's been waiting for. We're going to reveal a bunch of names and a bunch of um, lists of different issue areas and emphasis coming up in this podcast. But Ajwa, I want to get your initial thoughts off of the first top 10. There's some usual suspects, right? There's some new names. When you first saw it, what was your first reaction? Okay, well, drum roll, please. Let's have a little <laughs> theatric. <laughs> okay, if you could guess who's the most influential member of Congress when it comes to health, who would be the first person you would think of? Is it Pelosi? No. It's actually Senator Elizabeth Warren. So there you go, Senator. You are now the most powerful woman on health care, according to Gretel and according to the JPA Health Podcast. Okay. And so that means everybody should be contacting Warren's office right now. No, that's not what that means. It just means that um, when she speaks, a lot of folks are listening both equally inside and outside of the Beltway. And that if she's already in your plans, she should probably stay there. And then the second person that was most influential on healthcare is actually Speaker Nancy Pelosi. 
And then when we look at the rest of this list, you will find a lot of familiar political names. Bernie Sanders comes in as, as third, which should be a surprise to no one, given how much he talks about healthcare. <laughs> Chuck Schumer being, you know, a leader in the Senate should come as no surprise. But then the list gets interesting at number five. Kristen Gillibrand. Adam Schiff at number six. Maxine Waters at number seven. Now you might say, you know what? These folks are very popular. Kristen Gillibrand running for president not too long ago. Adam Schiff and his role on other issues. Maxine Waters, everybody calls her Auntie Maxine now, right? But that goes to show you that even on the House side, in particular, you will find that the most influential members of Congress are not the members on the committees of jurisdiction. Maxine Waters is not on any health committee, for example. Adam Schiff, not on any health committee. Uh, so this is really interesting as we look at, you know, who should be messengers, who can be champions on your issue. If you were just looking at members who are known to be well-versed on health issues, the policy hawks, you may want to recalibrate your strategy. Coming in at number eight, Senator Feinstein. And then... Chris Murphy at number nine. Are you noticing a trend here? We're naming only Democrats. I was just going to say, hmm. <laughs> Is that a surprise to anyone? Uh, so I'm a Democrat, so I can't, I think I'm a bit biased to say, no, this isn't a surprise. We've owned the issue of healthcare. Um, but it may come as a surprise when you consider the fact that so many bills right now are not moving forward due to a lack of support from Republicans, right? So what does this mean? And then coming at number 10, uh, a member that is on committees of jurisdiction who is known to be a policy hawk when it comes to healthcare. So he's saving this list here in a way, Senator Tim Kaine, number 10, right? Um, of course, he is someone that was considered a VP pick not too long ago. So what we're seeing is that those who have great political, a big political identity are also the ones that are most influential on healthcare policy. And that might have a lot to just do with the fact of how healthcare has become so central in the campaign um, election season uh, discussion how it's become so much of a political football and not just about the merits of policy. What do you think about this, Ryan? Well, I, I, I don't think that the top 10 names are all that surprising, right? I also take out leadership. I think that's like an asterisk next to those names. Um, you know, Pelosi, Schumer, as we get into it, they appear 
um, very often very high in any of these lists. And if we weren't talking about healthcare, I think they would appear high in those lists too, just by nature of the leadership position. Now that's not to diminish their role or if Republicans were in control, obviously I sit on the right side of the aisle. Um, you know, I don't think that, that that changes if you're in leadership. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, the second thing that comes to mind is I think you're right. You have this pretty big divide between the politicos and the policy hawks, right? The people who are using social media and who are out there trying to speak to their audiences and garner favor with different groups and di different sectors or trying to strengthen their foothold in their own sectors and their own echo chamber. Um, you know, and then you have people who are actually interested in policy and advancing legislation, the quote unquote sausage making process, right? Um, and those, those names like appear next to one another in some instances and they collide in other instances. And I think it's really interesting that in some ways that mirrors what we see in the media between these different types of members. Right. Um, but the only thing that I think, or the biggest thing I should say that, that stands out to me between the hawks, the policy folks and the politicos is what's rewarded, right? And, and being a policy hawk is very seldomly rewarded. <laughs> now right. that may be rewarded in your campaign war chest next go round, right? But that's not the kind of reward I'm talking about. I'm talking about public praise and reward for uh, the hard work that you're doing. It really seems that the loudest voices are always the ones who get rewarded the most, unfortunately. Yeah, but I think is what's interesting is when we compare the um, outside the beltway list versus the inside the beltway list. And unsurprisingly, once you look at the inside the beltway list, then the policy hawks begin to rise a bit in their rankings. But from a communications public affairs perspective, what this means is is, is a tremendous uh, difference in what you do with your efforts and how to stretch your budget. Because what this suggests is that it's not enough to do an inside Beltway campaign targeting the um, members that are on your committees or jurisdiction or that are, on po that are policy hawks or that are very well versed on your issues and can hit those talking points so well about your issues. They are great, they serve a purpose. But if you are ignoring the outside of the Beltway game, if you are not making sure that the ones that people are actually, like the voters, the constituents are actually listening to, you're losing a big piece of the picture. And ultimately you wanna make sure that your issue is sustainable and has the support of the constituents because if they're disconnected with what the policy hawks, the, all the good work that the policy hawks are doing, ultimately it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. And in, in, I mean, I think the data bears this out, right? When we look at that, as you were talking, I was just toggling over here of our beautiful um, data playground, I like to call it. Right. <laughs> and in this data playground, it's like a sandbox. You can go in there and, and mess around with what these rankings show us and, and toggle things around. And exactly what you're saying, Ajua, when you look at the outside the beltway folks versus the inside the beltway, it changes. 
the list changes, not necessarily that top list, but it does change in exactly the way that you said. The mixture of members and the type of communications absolutely changes when those two audiences uh, are kind of segmented out, which is really interesting. <laughs> totally. And then what does this mean for Republicans, right? Uh, let's face it, uh, next year, midterm elections, health care will be on the ballot as it always is, um, no matter what else is going on, all the other fights, um, you know, that are happening. Healthcare just continues to be a wallet issue too, not just a philosophical debate, but a wallet issue. Um, and so what does this mean for Republicans, you know, who've always struggled with finding the right message, you know, for, for years it was, okay, anti-ACA, um, you know, and, and then now uh, with, with not, not having the backing of the White House um, and looking to take over the House and the Senate, what does this mean for Republicans? Who are the most influential Republicans on health policy? Well, some surprising and maybe not surprising names come to mind, right? Um, you know, we look at Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa, who in our rankings is the fifth most um, influential in our journalist list. Um, so essentially that means he is most followed by journalists, healthcare journalists, um, most likely to be listened to or have um, a captive audience. So that's an interesting one. Um, and somewhat surprising, um, I thought. But the next one, Senator Susan Collins from Maine, to me is not surprising. Um, it might just be my days on the Hill and, and interacting with her office and kind of understanding her brand and the way that she likes to legislate. But she is a very serious legislator. She is interested in getting things done. She's interested in working with people and she's interested uh, in having some legislative wins, right? And that is her brand very much, I think, um, amongst her colleagues. And so she has a very high ranking at fifth um, when you're focusing on senior health. And that may be surprising, may not be surprising because senior health, frankly, doesn't get a lot of attention um, these days among all the other uh, health topics, but it is huge. And let's not forget that seniors are always going to be a huge voting block in any election. So she ranks very high there. And the next one, uh, sadly, um, is Senator Rob Portman from Ohio. He announced his retirement. So uh, he'll finish out this term and then will no longer uh, show up on our rankings, unfortunately. But with the time he has left, he's showing very high in the mental health conversation. And I think that's very important. There have been instances in Ohio where that has risen to the forefront. And of course, Ohio is not only a swing state, but it's also a bellwether for indicating where the American electorate is, right? There's a reason why a lot of companies test their products in Ohio markets. There's a reason why there's big media markets there. It's a very influential state. And so for him to be ranked high as a Republican in that kind of an environment um, in the mental health discussion is pretty meaningful. But there you go. My list is over. <laughs> That's well, it for Republicans. But, but it's so interesting you know, it may be a sparse list, but it's a powerful list because all the folks that you mentioned 
sit on very powerful health committees. Um, Senator Grassley on Senate Finance, Senator Collins on Senate Health, and Senator Portman on Senate Finance. And so what we are seeing is that the most influential Republicans in healthcare are also the policy hawks. Whereas the most influential Democrats on healthcare are politically popular and not necessarily the policy hawks. Uh, that sounds a little bit disastrous to me, Ryan, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know, also- yeah, yeah ahead, I mean, Ryan. When, when, when you look at it is a somewhat disastrous um, and it could be for both parties. Right. But we know historically that, uh, the party in power in the midterm typically loses, right? That at least one chamber, um, Democrats hold a slim majority in the House, but they have, they're very strong, as we can see by these rankings in healthcare. So they need to elevate, pun intended, that <laughs> issue to the kitchen table issue for the midterm elections, right? Here in Virginia, where I live, there's a big uh, gubernatorial election going on. Um, you know, there's an opportunity for healthcare or some of these sub issues in the healthcare conversation to come to the top and make a difference with voters. Um, and it doesn't always have to be politician led, right? That's, we're not talking about, oh, here's what we advise for campaigns and Republicans and Democrats. We're advising on what your communication strategy should be in considering all these political factors and all of these rankings and this information, how do you leverage that environment to get your issue noticed or to get what you need mentioned, right, or brought to the forefront? And on the Republican side, you know, we could go on for days about why there's not a sort of cohesive messaging strategy on healthcare issues there. Um, but I also think that kind of detracts from some of the other rankings on our list, which there are some interesting members who kind of surfaced in our top 10. Uh-oh. Yeah. And we're about to get into those uh, quote unquote sub issues in a second trend, trending health policy issues where we see major differences than in the list of who's actually influential when we drill down on those issues. But before we get to that, first I want to say that, Um, What this, our influential charts also show is that whereas on the Senate side, um, the most influential members do tend to be policy hawks and uh, tend to be on committees of jurisdiction. On the House side, it's a very different picture where it's more politically driven. Um, and so, I, well, I think the founding fathers sort of designed that on purpose, right? <laughs> the Senate is supposed to be the deliberators, and the House is supposed to be reflective of the people. So I guess uh, it's still working 200 years later. Yeah, the House is a little more rambunctious. And, you know, I, I've, I've worked in both chambers. I can see that. I understand that. But I also was surprised at some of the House members who had risen in these rankings. Because, um, again, there's, there may be less of a divide between those you know, political people and the loud voices and the policy hawks in the House. But, you know, there are some really interesting voices that did rise in the House in the, in the healthcare care conversation. Um, 
and they're not what you think. And I think that's kind of the, the interesting thing, especially because we could talk for years about the differences between the two chambers. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, but it also means that if you're looking for perhaps quick, fast action, if you're, if you're thinking that your issue is going to be a voter issue, bet your money on the house, right? Maybe focus your efforts more on the house side. If you're thinking that you're looking more for gradual change, technical changes, um, you're trying to answer regulations that are very wonky, um, then bet on the Senate side, bet on senators that will um, likely be more influential inside the beltway and um, would, would likely be uh, more effective in reaching your goal. So this is all about taking this information and utilizing it in a way that advances your smart public affairs strategy and your targeting efforts. But now we get to hop in a little bit in these sub issues and uh, I wanna talk a little bit about one that's close to my heart, which is uh, health disparities and health equity. And, you know, I have to say, I, I was really hoping to see some of my favorite members um, here, you know, those who have been really part of health, major health equity initiatives and, um, you know, uh, really have been known, known for that. But still, that's okay. You know, shout out to Congresswoman Robin Kelly. She should be on this list. And so, um, you know, her, her office should probably take note. But the top 10 in health disparities, health equity, Number one is still Senator Elizabeth Warren. So kudos to the Senator for really um, speaking on these issues on a consistent basis. Number two is Nancy Pelosi. Three is Bernie Sanders. Four, Maxine Waters. Okay, this, this is sounding very familiar, right? But it's gonna change soon, I promise. <laughs> Schumer, Gillibrand, and then we get to Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Um, and then, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, a fairly new member who everyone knows about because she is very popular as well politically, even though she's also not a member that is on any committees of jurisdiction. So there you go again. Um, Senator Warnock, oh my gosh. Senator Warnock making his presence known in such a short period of time. Let's, maybe you should keep him around <laughs> um, in Georgia. But he comes in at number nine, and then Adam Schiff at number 10. So I think that's just a very interesting list, especially given how much health disparities, health equity is being discussed these days. And um, I think a lot of advocates out there uh, would be pretty happy with this list. These are all pretty friendly faces, folks that um, they would probably be happy to engage with. But, you know, it does also say that those, you know, who have been fighting the fight for a long time uh, probably need to be, again, the word elevated in some way in order to um, make sure that that knowledge and institutional knowledge that they have on this issue um, is effective politically. Well, and, you know, I think uh, it's hard uh, for me to look at a list like this and opine on the different mixture of members, especially when there's an absence of, of conservative voices there. Um, because I do think there are, 
plenty of Republicans um, from diverse backgrounds that can weigh in in the health disparities conversation. Um, it, but in just some you know, quick research, looking at some of those types of Republicans and some of their communications efforts, it does seem to me, especially in healthcare, those things are more piecemeal, right? It's they have a very targeted legislative approach that maybe adjusts just a little bit, a regulatory, true. right? It's not a sweeping sort of uh, grandiose visionary type piece of legislation. Now they're signed on to those. They do participate in those. So I don't want to characterize all Republicans are only two in the weeds. Um, but when you look at it and you, and then again, when you look at analysis like this, which shows the share of the conversation and what's going out there in the healthcare landscape or in the ecosystem, right, which is always changing. That's why we're always measuring it. Um, you just don't see Republicans rising. And furthermore, and it goes back to something you said earlier, Adjua, it's hard for members, especially in the House, to give every piece of legislation its due love, right? It's due right. diligence, especially from the communications perspective. So what we're really seeing is, you know, a matter of priority. Uh, Republicans right. simply do not prioritize these healthcare conversations in the same way that Republicans do. Um, and for better or for worse, if you're worried about the rankings, then it's not. But when you go to jpa.com slash public affairs and you download the full list where you can see the rankings of everybody, you will see some interesting Republican names pop up in there. And I don't want to reveal them now because they are sparse. And so if I revealed them now, you wouldn't download our list. <laughs> so you got to go to the website like we did last time and we had tremendous success Thank you to all who downloaded our list last time, but for this list and to view some uh, more diversity among party in the, in the fuller list, um, you know, head to the website and check it out um, because we do have other issues broken down in that list. You know, we're just going to talk about a few today, um, but we have some other issues broken down there, which kind of leads me to Adwa. You want to get to two other Rankings. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, you know, new names, there's new names on these other rankings, there's new names on these <laughs> other lists. And I'll mention the new names then yeah. Um, yeah. senior health, you know, uh, which you mentioned, um, Ryan, that hasn't been getting its just attention, which is interesting because, you know, Medicare is always part of the discussion, but it's not always discussed in the same way as senior health, right? You know, you would hope that it is one <laughs> goes hand in hand, um, but not always. And 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 Medicare, I'm sorry, senior health rather, you're seeing um, a couple uh, of new names. Uh, we mentioned Senator Collins already, um, being you know, clocking at number five on that list. And then Senator Casey, which should come to no surprise for anyone who's been involved in Medicare. Um, he's been extremely active on the, in that conversation, as he should, because he sits on Senate Finance and Senate Health, one of the few members who sits on both extremely critical committees of jurisdiction. So, you know, outside of Elizabeth Warren, I kind of want to say he's the next, like, very important guru here. Um, he is a policy hawk um, on healthcare that's 
very influential and a very important topic, which is senior health. As you know, just getting into my payer language here, if we're talking, looking at what's driving costs, you know, and um, our aging population, and you know, we're looking at high cost, high need patients, then we're talking senior health. And I think that um, a lot of the pay fors that then get reflected into the rest of health policy is led by what's going on in, in senior health. So our list of influentials in senior health becomes a very important list if you look at it from that aspect of how it impacts the rest of the health policy landscape. So Pelosi, Warren, Sanders, Schumer, Collins, Schiff, Gillibrand, Waters, Feinstein, and then Senator Casey to round out senior health. And then what I think is really interesting is that in, when you look at mental health, you see more Republican names start to pop up and um, you see also just a very different list again. You see new names pop up there as well. Um, what did you think about the mental health um, influential list, Mayan? Yeah, I, I think you're right. In, in you saw more Republican names. Senator Portman, who we already talked about, um, rounds out the list at number 10. Um, but then, you know, you have some other new names, not necessarily Republicans, but you have Senator Markey from Massachusetts popping up there. Uh, Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island pops up there um, at number nine. So, you know, the mental health now, that's just in the top 10. Again, we can't reveal the full rankings because you have to right. download them. But so when you have to you find do, out the other Republicans. <laughs> yes, I, and I promise all of our listeners that when you do download that, you'll see some other Republicans out there for, for my right-leaning friends um, or right-of-center friends there. But I think it's interesting, too. Republicans do seem to hone in on the mental health issue, and I think it's because they see that as having applicability to a lot of other issue areas, right? Um, Republicans seem to be maybe, some could say slower than others, right? Um, to sort of embrace the fact that mental health does have a natural permeation into other aspects of life. And I think Republicans also see, especially for those policy hawks, opportunities to change things by way of regulation. Republicans hate regulation, you know, almost by default. Um, you know, I, for one, you know, never really met some red tape that I didn't want to cut up into little pieces. Um, and mental health can, can be an aspect there. And it's also, I think, somewhere where vulnerable Republicans and vulnerable seats can help bring over some independent voices and move some bipartisan legislation around. And on that point, I would also say, I think Democrats do the same thing, right? Vulnerable Democrats see mental health as a good bipartisan sort of general realm where they can message off some pretty significant bills. They can attack both regulation and they can move some proactive legislation through. So, you know, if you're thinking about campaigns, you're thinking about how are you going to construct interesting messages in amidst uh, what's going to for sure be another intense um, and probably nauseating to some certain, uh, certain extent um, political season. If you're thinking about this, mental health is a, con a connective tissue, I like to call it, right? To sort of go with our body health sort of theme, right? Mental health can be a place where if you're not willing to commit 
to any one party's plan for healthcare or maybe a piece of legislation or a legislative effort that is very one-sided. It has too many Republicans or too many Democrats on it. Mental health is a, is a place where you can start to look for avenues, areas of agreement and build off of that. And if you're looking to create a, a great campaign, in my opinion, this list kind of signals the most diverse mixture of actual operators, right? Because you look at this, number one is Warren, duh, we know that, right? Sanders, we know that. Pelosi doesn't count. Schumer doesn't count. But then you're looking at Chris Murphy, Kirsten Gillibrand, Ed Markey, Maxine Waters, Sheldon Whitehouse, and Rob Portman. Now, if I was like picking a team like they pick dodgeball teams, right? I would pick the whole bottom half of that list, right? So right. I think that's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. What do you what do you think, especially from the metal, mental health aspect? No, I think everything you're saying is actually pretty spot on. And I almost wonder if there's a little bit, you know, you find also just generally more bipartisan efforts in when it comes to mental health. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting how that hasn't become as much of a political football as the other issues like senior health and even health disparities to some extent. And so you wonder then about um, the opportunities there to, you know, marry the influentials on both sides of the aisle um, to really advance those issues. And if that means that mental health um, bills and legislation have a greater chance um, in Congress and some of these other topics that we just discussed. Well, and that kind of brings us to a good kind of rounding out sort of segue to how do we tie this all together, right? And you've mentioned it a couple times, but it is the committees, I'm calling them the committees of impact, committees of jurisdiction. I say committees of impact only because we co-mingled, as I'm sure most of our listeners have figured out by now, we have co-mingled Senate and House members together. <laughs> um, and obviously Senate dominates the conversation, but there are important House voices there. Um, and so when we looked at whether or not you're a House member or a Senator, and if you sit on any sort of committee of jurisdiction slash impact on healthcare reform or any other legislation, regulatory, otherwise, moving forward, we came up with um, two new names, right, on the list. Now, I ranked 12 just because I thought 11 and 12 hadn't been on there. So do you want to, do you want to go over those names? I know we're teasing yeah, yeah. more than 10, but, you know, it may be worth mentioning. <laughs> we're giving the yeah, <laughs> a little bit more than um, well, how about we talk about the ones we hadn't haven't discussed so far that pop up on this list that I think are particularly interesting. So we mentioned uh, Senator Warnock and the fact that he's been able to be influential in a short, short period of time around issues of health disparities, but his colleague, his his. Um, his, uh, the other senator, the other senator from Georgia, Senator Ossoff, appears on this top 10 list of members who are on, with Committee of Impact. And so that says a lot about how he's been able to 
use his pulpit and, and what that means for folks um, as you as you consider um, you know who are who are the advocates who are really people who are passionate about certain issues um, as he's able has been able to do this um, in such a short period of time and then another uh, surprising person perhaps is Eric Swalwell Eric Swalwell at number 11, who, um, you know, has been, if you pay attention to him, uh, when it comes to healthcare, has been very, you know, um, active on, on women's issues, has been um, really, you know, uh, he, you know, he uses Twitter very well. <laughs> so um, he gives voice to all kinds of issues, but healthcare is something where um, you, you know, he has really made his mark outside of the Beltway, especially, and he's just a popular person and um, is maybe considered perhaps a little bit less of a, of a firebrand in a sense of making controversial remarks or anything like, uh, like that. So he's someone that I'm not sure a lot of advocates have considered in the past as, as tapping into to be a champion. But there he is, um, really um, influential in this, in this issue area. And to, to round it all out and to give the audience their last ranking of the episode um, and is, is Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. And in fact, he is the only physician um, who made any of our rankings. So we mentioned earlier and Ken mentioned at the top of the show uh, that, you know, there's a lot of members who get ranked into this. Not every member um, made the ranking, but definitely some of the, um, you know, physicians and other healthcare providers, either existing um, providers or previous providers who are also elected members of Congress did show up on the list but Senator Paul was the only one to make a top 10 ranking. So that's encouraging. And of course uh, he sits on the committees of jurisdiction. Um, so that kind of makes his approach and his voice um, all that more important, especially when you look at these rankings as a whole. Um, so again, go to jpa.com slash public affairs. You can download the full list. Uh, straight from there, you just got to click on the orange button. It'll pull up a pop-up menu, uh, put in your information, download the PDF, share it with your colleagues, um, you know, give it to your teams internally. And if you think that, um, you know, this is something that you would like to act on or you'd like to talk with us further about how you can engage these members, um, maybe potentially some issues that you're having either with House or Senate members or having your issue resonate with their audiences and their constituents in particular, uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to talk about that and try and problem solve. Um, if it was easy, everyone would do it and we wouldn't be putting out rankings like this to try and uh, cut through the noise and figure out who has a powerful constituency and a powerful voice um, and the ability to elevate your issue in the public affairs arena. So um, again, go to jpa.com slash public affairs, download the list, the full list, and uh, we appreciate your comments and feedback. Audra, any closing thoughts on this? This is our first time ranking members of Congress and looking at the Gretel Insights based that 
Any kind of closing thoughts or remarks, anything that we forgot to talk about? No, only that this was um, my favorite list so far. I guess I'm not supposed to have favorites, but (laughs) this was totally my favorite list. I just gobbled it all up and I was just like, oh my gosh, what I would do differently on several campaigns and uh, even looking forward to our clients, you know, how, how I will be advising them moving forward. Um, it's going to be very different based off of this list. So I hope it's going to be as useful to all of you out there, you listeners, as it has been already for JPA. And with that, we'll uh, see you at our next episode, which will also include some Gretel-driven insights, but we're not going to share that with you right now um, because it has to be a surprise and you haven't even had a chance to download this list yet. So when you do, we'll update you on our next episode. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye.